Hello friends, welcome back to the next episode of the After Hours Lounge. Quite pleased with this episode because it was recommended to me by one of my listeners, which for me as a podcast host is always quite nice because it's kind of affirming that people are actually listening to me uh, chatting shit with people. Um, so yeah, thank you to Carlin um, from, I think she lives in Aberdeen, um, but she sent me a message about this guy um, and he's been up to all sorts of stuff, getting in the sea with his camera, silly times in the morning when it's absolutely freezing, um, all in the name of kind of encouraging people to go in the sea. Um, as, as you will know, uh, I'm a very much advocate for the sea and how it helps my mental health. Uh, so, yeah, without further ado, Mr. Mike Guest, thank you very much for coming to join me. Thanks very much for having me on. It's a um, pleasure to be able to talk about these things. Yeah, and it's, it's nice, nice to have a fellow Scotsman on. Nice to hear an accent as well. I do, I do miss it. I'm down, I said to you before we hit record, I am, my accent has gone quite a lot, but it, there is something nice talking to another Scotsman. Ah, uh, there we go. Yeah, no, I mean, chatting about where you were, you were brought up, and it's, you know, it's a gorgeous part of the world, and um, we've got a lot going on in Scotland. We've got a lot of space. We've got a lot of wilderness. We've got a lot of coastline, um, as does the whole of the UK. But um, yeah, it's, I love this place. I have spent a large chunk of my life traveling for work. In fact, twenty-one years of being self-employed. Yeah, I've hit forty this year, and I have always been on the move for work, but. Over the last 10 years, more and more, I find myself just spending more and more time in Scotland and trying to engineer my life to be based more here. Yeah, I think it's, I kind of feel like Scotland, especially like the Highlands and further up in Scotland, is very much up and coming as well, isn't it? Like, and this is pre-COVID, but COVID will accelerate it, if anything. But there was a, there's a lot of people wanting to move up there, isn't there? You know, kind of better quality of life, as you said, more space, less people, there's so many kind of outdoor activities you can do, you know, like the, the you know, I do some or do, did some work for a kayaking company and they were always going up there. You know, there's all the climb. I've got friends who are super into climbing. Like there, There's a lot going on up there that I think people are starting to cotton on to now. Yeah, yeah, it's it, there. We've got it all, you know, we really do. You know, we've got the midges in summer in the West Coast, which is not ideal for people. Uh, I think a lot of people that move up maybe get surprised with that and if you can deal up in the Northwest, if you can deal with those really late um, mornings and also, you know, 4.30, it's dark. So it has its balance, but I think that's what gives it the beauty. You know, the, the brutal weather days make those better days even better. And it doesn't rain as much as people say it does up here. That's just one of those things uh, that people love to say. But I spend a lot of time in the water, so I'm not really bothered about rain or water. Yeah. You don't notice as much. And then like my, you know, my mum has, has lived, lived up there for years now. I grew up there, but she always says that as well. She always says, you know, you, you kind of, you, you, you get what you get in the winter, but you know, it pays back in the summer when it doesn't get dark till midnight and it's light again at half three in the morning, you know? Oh, it's amazing. You know, you can literally be getting in the water for a surf or to go shoot at half three. Yeah. And I swear I've probably got out at maybe 11 o'clock some nights, you know? It's, yeah. it's kind of ridiculous you're exhausted yeah that's crazy that's crazy mm -hmm. so tell, tell you know my, myself and the the readers a little bit you say you you know been freelance for for 21 years um tell us a li little bit about yourself uh what what you do and what you get up to so a little brief explanation of what happened with me was i left school with maybe one exam to my name uh, my parents said right if you're leaving early you need to get a job 
as soon as you walk out the door. So I ended up chefing for a few years. And after that, I found myself working in events. So I spent probably 12 to 14 years working in events, doing lighting, rigging, power distribution, you name it, music, rock and roll stuff, weddings, the whole gambit. And then I guess about seven years ago, I fell into photography. I was totally burnt out from the event world. It wasn't really doing it for me. And my sister kind of threw me a carrot and said, hey, come and live with me in New Zealand. There's a room for you. I'll get you a job waxing skis at this place, Racer's Edge, uh, with Schaefer and Diana got me a job. And I waxed skis at night and a ski tour during the day and kind of made this shift into photography with one of my sister's best friends, Roscoe. And he's become one of my best mates. We started together filming and photographing at the same time. And we still contact each other. We're still in touch, you know, on a weekly basis. And this was this whole kind of shift of like, right, I'm over this world, which I can get loads of work in. I'm just taking the same light out of the same box and putting it up. It's a brilliant industry with loads of amazing people that I met over the years, but I was just over it. Yeah. And then I've been on a seven year self-taught journey of photography and film ultimately now and yeah hit 40 uh, in lockdown and um couldn't quite believe it really it's like wow here we go made it made it to 40. (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's crazy yeah because yeah it's it's funny like i i completely changed careers last last year as well it's something i've kind of you know been been grappling with um, for the last year and I changed actually kind of because of my declining mental health and it is it is funny how you you know I spent the best part of 10 years in industry and I mean I was in I was in the windsurfing industry it was lovely I was traveling the world teaching windsurfing all this stuff but uh, you do just get to a point where you're like this is great but it's not for me anymore you know and I think a lot of people fight against that and stay in the job because whether it's job security or you know they're like well no this is this is what I do I've got to keep doing it but I think a lot of people don't necessarily take that leap of faith, do they, like you did? Yeah, and I think for a lot of people, I often wonder, especially within sports or many things, that there can be a loss of identity. Yeah. You know, and I think that's really, that can be really tricky to, to grapple with. And depending on your age, whether you're mentally able to understand that. And I think for me, I just felt like I was on this kind of treadmill with it. And I didn't become a lighting designer and I didn't become X, Y, and Z. None of these things like seemed like the right thing, but I don't regret the years I spent doing that because I learned so much stuff, you know, and it, it worked perfectly for my sort of problem solving dyslexic brain to learn that. And now when it, when it comes to doing shoots or being on productions, yeah, I'm a photographer, a filmer, but I've got all this knowledge that I'm always willing to help and give if it's needed. And just to help out, you know, I, I love that kind of side of it. I suppose it is slightly relative as well, you know, lighting, all that sort of stuff. Like, oh, you know, whether you're doing photo shoots or that, you know, it's it's not completely unrelated. But like you said, it, kind of whatever you're doing, you do get these kind of life skills. And that sounds like a, you know, standard phrase to say, but I don't, I can't think of anything better to call them. But you do get these skills that it doesn't matter what you go into. Like you said, you'll have taken skills from your first few years being a chef that you won't necessarily, other than just being able to cook food, but you know, you'll be able to, to take those skills and kind of apply them to whatever. And I think a lot of people have them and they don't realize. Yeah, ab- absolutely. 
and it's funny that they they'll, they keep popping up, you know, those transferable skills. You kind of have a think and people go, oh, wow, how do you know that? And you're like, well, I spent 12 years putting up lights, yeah. pushing buttons, yeah. dragging cables around festivals. You know, do, we used to do fun, some of the first stuff we did was weddings and it'd be like a Wednesday through to a Sunday because you'd go and set up in a marquee and yeah. do the generators and the light and the PA. And, and it was like this Groundhog Day. But the guys that I worked with were great fellas. Yeah. You know, good guys and girls. So that was a lot of what made the monotony possible. Um, yeah, it was good. Nice, nice. So you, you know, you, you ended up, uh, you ended up in New Zealand, um, and then you, then you kind of came, came back to Scotland, and then you know, you said you said you turned turned the big four zero um, in lockdown. Now, one of the reasons I got you on was because you started this project called Dawn Days. Um, can you tell tell us a little bit about that? Why you started it? Yeah, Dawn Days was born from a conversation with a fellow photographer, um, Cornish fella called Nick Pumphrey. I've known Nick kind of through a bunch of surfers. And then I met him when I was on tour for the last couple of years. For the last couple of years, I've been working with um, Patagonia Europe on their worn wear program. So it's a program where we go around and we fix wetsuits, yeah. Gore-Tex jackets and kind yeah. of educate people. So it's this big rolling process. So I was doing photography on that, Amazing. met Nick. And we kept in contact, you know, as all photographers do, talking about projects, ideas, let's do this. And then we were on this phone call and it was about a month after lockdown had hit. I had been out on tour and we got a phone call from HQ. And then 74 hours later, I found myself standing outside my flat back in Scotland. Yeah, I was originally in Austria. We'd had to drive all the way across Europe, drop vehicles, um, drive home i'd had to get my van go to amsterdam get the boat you know drive home yeah and you know my world just span out of control you know yeah. someone put this massive stop button like you're done boom stop yeah. and i just didn't know how to deal with things i couldn't cope with it mm -hmm. and when i was on this phone call with nick he was like oh look i'm gonna swim out at the blue hour and shoot till sunrise every day I'm going to pick a few photos and I'm maybe going to post them up, but I just missing being in the water. Mm. And it clicked with me. I was like, wow, I live like five minutes from the beach. I could just walk <laughs> down from my house in Portobello. So I live in Portobello. Oh, in Edinburgh. Ooh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's literally a left, a right, a left walk straight. I'm yeah. at the beach. Yeah. And it started off basically just for something to do for something creative to do, to, master my water housing but just after routine i had no routine i needed a routine yeah. and at the end of the phone call i realized with nick and i was like oh man you get to get up an hour later than me oh, yeah. so he's getting up at like 5 30 i'm getting up at 4 30 and progressively through the month it got to the point where i got up at 2 45 was the earliest time i got up to go out jeez which was wearing yeah i bet but like you said, even though the time's changing, like you, you kind of you just hit the nail on the head there. And I think that's what a lot of people kind of didn't have. And that's a routine, you know, having a, a routine and a bit of a purpose. Um, and by especially like you said, you know, if you and I've, I've got a lot of friends that kind of are in sort of similar positions where they were away doing work or based on, you know, events or, you know, that kind of thing. And suddenly they find yourself back in your house sitting there like, right, well, what do I do then? Um, and like you said, actually, if you have a reason to get out the door, 
that's so much more beneficial for people's mental health than I think we all took for granted uh, before this year. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the start of it really was just this thing. And on the first day, I was just going to go and take photos. Yeah. Started taking some stills. And then I'm like, wait a minute. I mean, the camera I have is just unbelievable at video. And yeah. I took a couple nugs and thought, oh, that's kind of cool. Put a little bit of sound effects under it. Picked a tune from one of my pals and just put that along the side and thought, right, yeah, maybe I will post this on Instagram. I've got a love-hate relationship with social media, but I thought, well, this is kind of cool. And I guess maybe some people can't get to the beach, so maybe they'll maybe they'll like this. Yeah. And I just thought about making these, it, it was that first day of making these little mellow, moody vibes for people to just kind of zone out on and stop maybe incessantly scrolling and just go, ah, have a breath. Take, like, yeah. take a minute, take a moment. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that's well. I mean, I I said you know I always do my my due diligence on whoever I've got on the podcast. You know, I do my research and all that stuff. And I did end up a couple of days ago going down a bit of a, a deep dive on your Vimeo channel. Um, and like like you said, you know, there was there was one I can't remember what the date was, but there was one where you'd done almost like a like I don't know. I'm I'm not a photography guy, but like a like a speed blur of like the lights as the sun was coming. Oh. Or something yeah. like that. And I started watching that. And like you said, you've got the music on and stuff. And you do, you know, it maybe sounds a bit lame, but you do kind of get transported out for a couple of minutes or, you know, for even 30 seconds. And you're like, oh, that's pretty nice, isn't it? You know. And that's it. That's it, man. That was exactly what I would hope that some people might get. And if they don't, they don't. That's cool. People can take it for whatever they want. They can take it on any level. And I think... As, as the project kind of grew legs or it became a project, it became this thing. Yeah. My pal Barry Duncan lives just, um, Barry Duncan, Barry Jackson, sorry, <laughs> lives just down the road from me, literally about 500 meters. Yeah. He's a sound engineer, but he's a great musician. He used to run a record label. Oh, cool. And he was waking up super early because he was doing a morning shift, like maybe three days a week at the BBC, mixing the, the, the news in Glasgow. And so he'd wake up and he'd walk out this back of his house and he'd put his recorder on and it was dead silent. And all you could hear was birdsong. Yeah. So he'd start recording birdsong and then he'd walk down to the beach and record the lapping waves. And then it was like, oh, you're doing this. You're doing this. And then he started reacting off my videos and making me music. So he would make me music and he was sometimes I'd wake up at three o'clock in the morning and there would be this tune from Barry. He'd be like, check what I made you. And I'd have my cup of tea, get my wetsuit half on, lie on the floor and just listen to the music. And then, right, cool. That's the, that's the vibe for today. And it wouldn't always be like that, but a lot of the time the music drove what I created. And I'd walk down the beach and go and film. I didn't decide where I was going to go on that beach anytime I would maybe just decide what lens I would take out. And then that would dictate what happened. And I just kind of just, I don't know, just went with it. It was like a response to to what was going on and needing to have a routine of which I have never had. I'm awful like that. <laughs> yeah. That's weird that you say it. Like, cause you usually like, you know, I've made sort of uh, ed, ed, uh, edits of, you know, windsurfing and, and things like that. And it's always been the, the kind of content, the footage first and then the music. So it's interesting that you, that the music kind of informed you first. Um, you know. it, it often can be like that for me and I think I've always done that and now I know technically that might not be the right way well, I don't know what's the right way but it's, it's well just... I think often what happens is people will create a film 
there'll be a guide track, but then it will be scored for yeah. them. So I think, you know, traditionally there's that way. I've never been one for sticking to rules, but I love music. I spent a lot of time within the music world, within the Scottish folk music world. My ex-partner um, was a Scottish folkie and I started pushing boxes, I think when I was 16, doing a bit of roadieing actually yeah. with a friend of mine, Scott, at the Liquid Rooms in Edinburgh. So it always been round music. And for me, that's the easiest way to edit. Like pick the beat, edit to the beat, get yeah. the feeling. And then when you realize something's a bit short, start shifting around. But for me, that gets me going. It gets me going at the start. You know, I'll do the start and the end and then the middle. Yeah. But with these, it was just music, lay it down and just sort of see what happened. And did you, did you kind of initially approach it as like, this is just a bit of fun? Or were you, were you really committed to being like, I want to make this really good? Like, was that what I mean is because you obviously, you know, we're, we're kind of back at home and out of out of a routine and all that, but finding this new one, were you kind of like, I'm going to throw completely throw myself in and put as much effort in as possible? Or were you kind of like, oh, I'll just, you know, shoot, shoot some stuff and if it's good, it's good? I think on the first morning it was like, ah, oh, just going to go down and see how this goes. Mm. And I got such a buzz from it. And when I was editing and putting the stuff, not even about putting it up, I was just like, oh, that was awesome. Because yeah. I kind of fallen out of love with video. I'd had a few jobs, things just didn't feel right. So I'd really been pushing the stills thing. Mm. And I was like, oh, this is great. I was loving this. And to be honest, I just lost myself in it. I was aware of what was going on definitely within the latter part of it. But really it was just, but it also became quite obsessive. Yeah. Because I, I want, I'm like, I need, I want to achieve this. I want to actually do something. I want to commit to something for once in my life and actually like go all the way through this and then then the buzz and Barry got into it and my friend Stu you know wrote some meditation bits to go over it and it was just like this productive wrecking ball that was dawn days with with me and some of the boys and that bit's kind of worth talking about is that the relationship I now have with Barry we've known each other for probably 20 years working yeah. in events but didn't really know each other I'd never met Stu until last year at some point and the connection that I've got with them and the conversations that we can have because of going through what we've gone through together, which is lockdown, but yeah. then is also being a part of something when I kind of couldn't see what was in front of me. There was nothing. As far as I could tell, you're like, it wasn't the end of the world, but there was no next job. Yeah. There was no carrot dangling of a holiday or a shoot or going surfing. You know, it's, I'm here. This is all I've got. So I think I just kind of, I just, yeah, I went all in. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> now it's funny, like, yeah, I, you know, that's, that's something like I've found that I particularly struggle with um, is not having something to look forward to. Um, and I've, I've kind of realized that about myself. So I always aim to try and have something within the next, you know, couple of months. But like you said, when this first happened and that first lockdown, it was, we were completely going into the unknown, weren't we? Um, and it's weird. It's weird. You say that, like I, I found myself like I, I connected with a childhood friend again that, you know, I started chatting to him while I was, you know, I, I was up in Scotland, um, you know, chatting to him again. And it, it, it's funny. I think that's one of the, one of the good things to come out of this year is that kind of these, you know, like you said, like, you know, you've known this guy for 20 years, um, but you know, people have reconnected, I think. Yeah, definitely. You know, reconnecting to their pals <laughs> being a bit more aware about what's around them when there's not the hubbub and noise of cars 
then you start to appreciate where you are. Like where I've lived, I've lived for 10 years, maybe more, or is it that long? And I found places I'd never walked before. Yeah. I saw the place in a different light because I wasn't just coming back from being on tour or being away and doing my X, Y, and Z, and then I'm off again. Mm. It's, you know, that the whole process was really interesting because like you say, we're always wondering about what's in front of us. And generally I'm stressing about what's happened in the past. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know how you say this without it sounding corny or whatever, but that being in the moment, probably the biggest lesson of that was like, I'm here now, I'm doing this. Yeah. I'm sitting in the water with the camera, looking at the sunrise, watching the same oyster catchers and this little seal that's popping up every few days. Like, wow, cool. I just need to be here. But I'm, I'm terrible at that. Always running off to the next thing, planning the next shoot, planning the next trip, worrying about what someone's thought. Yeah, and last one, yeah. <laughs> I've not, I'm not totally fixed that. Like, you know, Dawn Days hasn't miraculously changed me mm. completely, but it's allowed me to get more awareness, to understand um, what's going on in my head and how to deal with that. And what I should probably add to that as well is that I did seek some professional help. Okay. Um, I'm really lucky that one of my best pals, Lewis, is a psychologist down in Devon. And I, I chat to him and I kind of spoke to him and said, maybe I need to chat to someone. He's like, yeah, great idea. And I was like, yeah. but I, what do I do? Like, which bunch of letters, the, the act, the this, the BBC, the ABC, you know, what yeah. do I do? And he said, have a think about what might be good for you. And I, I decided on act therapy. Uh, with this lady Helen from Compass Therapy and I started just doing a weekly call with her just yeah. to kind of understand what's going on and for me it sounded quite interesting it was like a bit of eastern philosophy of mindfulness and not like ultimate positivity but just kind of being in the moment and taking responsibilities for your thoughts and learning not to fuse yourself to your your feelings and thoughts and so with the two of them what I hadn't realized was I, I spoke to Helen after a couple of weeks and she was laughing when I showed her Dawn Days, she's like, this is hilarious. I was like, what? She said, you're doing exactly what we talked about. Yeah. I didn't realize that. I was like, oh, she's like, you found something. You're taking an action. You're, you're committing to it. Mm. Like, oh, okay, great. I better carry on then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's nice to be validated by someone like that, isn't it? Oh, I'm doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that, and that was great. And then another lady, Jana, Jana Johnston, American lady who lives in India, just doing some other stuff with her, which is, maybe a little more on the woo-woo side, as people might call it. Yeah. Um, but having a daily morning practice of just breathing and movement um, to just calm down, stretch, and take a bit of time for myself as opposed to just jumping on the phone or the laptop. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that's... I mean, you know, you say you said it like as if it's if it's something that only you struggle with, but I think it's the human the human race in general, like we definitely struggle with not, especially in this day and age, I think we've probably got worse at it as, as the centuries have rolled on, but not being able to stay in the moment. Like, I think that that's one of the biggest, especially for me, like one of my biggest like faults I have is I just, I overthink so many things. Like if I'm like worried about, you know, like in the last few months, obviously I've been my work, I'm freelance. I work in social media. So it's been a roller coaster as well. You know, one day a client's no right. We're stopping. And then a month later, Oh, can we get you back? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm always overthinking like, oh, did I, I should have, you know, maybe if I'd done this, it would have worked and maybe, and that just consumes me. And like you said, 
I'm kind of looking forward to try and find new work or what can I do? But then also in the back of my head, I'm going, well, if I'd charged this client X amount more, or if I'd worked a bit harder for them, maybe I wouldn't have lost them, blah, blah, blah. That you kind of completely forget that you're having a nice time. You know, I could be sitting with my mates in the pub, like having a nice yeah. time, but my brain is just not, my brain isn't in my body. You know, it's just somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and that's the, that's the, that's the like starting to grasp that. And that's, I still, you know, I've had ups and downs through the whole of this lockdown. I mean, what are we on? We're like nine months that we've gone through yeah, this or more, yeah. maybe. You know, I had another dip recently with it, just trying to find that motivation. Yeah. And um, it was just before I started this mentorship course with a lady called Christina Force. She's a New Zealand lady. And a quick thing of what she does, ultimately, her she has an eight-week boot camp. Yeah. And its tagline is get paid to shoot what you love. So she used to work as an agent for photographer for 20 years for large agencies around the world and now lives in New Zealand. And so you apply to do the course. She has a chat with you and you show her images and she goes, yeah, right. You're on. And there's like 16 of us around the world in all sorts of different areas from age 60 down to probably 25. Yeah. And we have these weekly calls and she's helping you rebuild your website and look at your work and help you find direction within your personal projects. So that's been brilliant. And again, it's it's all the same, like doing the work on my head, how I am, how I act, also helps me within my photography. If I'm not calm and relaxed and happy or at peace, then it's hard for me to tap into that creativity because I'm stressing. I'm thinking, oh God, is the client going to like this? Oh, you know, yeah. when you're in that bit, you're in the flow, that kind of flow state. Mm. Kind of like head. when you're surfing, you know, when you surf a wave and everything just clicks in. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like, and I'm terrible at this. I like a lot of stuff with surf, but when everything works and you're just cruising along, you're trimming along, you're thinking of absolutely nothing else yeah. apart from this is pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or, or, you know, when it's, you know, surfing, like I said, you know, I do do a lot of windsurfing as well and stuff. Even if you're thinking, oh, this is fun. But if you're not thinking about that, you're thinking about what you're doing. You're thinking, right setting up my bottom turn setting a rail right now you know i need to to, to kind of do this and then you're like right no oh, oh, oh. and you know it, it's having and I, I mean i'm you know a huge advocate for this and people that listen to my podcast regularly must be bored of me saying this but having something like that doesn't need to be you know like like well dawn days is a perfect example having something that you can consume fill your time with for even just a couple of hours a week is like essential for i think for mental health for your happiness because you just yeah, I think I think people get it from like like people that draw that yeah you can lose yourself in that whatever it is is I think it's just about losing yourself yeah in the creation of something yeah whether it's, it's, it's brilliant yeah whether it's but when you say creation like that that's but like even like just the an experience as well whether it's riding a wave riding a bike down a hill you know playing around a golf like whatever whatever it is people do you know everyone's so different um but finding something like that, and, you know, again, I say it all the time, but I think a lot of people go through life without having something like that. Yeah, I feel very fortunate that I've had these sports. And also, you know, I was acutely aware that there was a lot of people around the world locked into big cities. Yeah. And I'm very lucky that I've got this beach that I could go down to. And I guess to go back into the Dawn Days thing, there was the visuals which were to relax people, but I ended up being really quite 
honest, like I've not even gone back and read any of it because it was just what I felt. Some of it was edited by friends or family and some of it is just awesome dyslexic um stream of consciousness yeah yeah um i say awesome but the awesomeness of dyslexia a big fan which we can talk about later yeah but so i really kind of bared myself because i also have this thing with social media where most of it is just this glossy like veneer of life that people put up and we're all culprits of it like hell i've done that loads and then i thought well i just kind of want to actually put up exactly what's happening i'm going to be totally honest and I think that's the way I would like to go forward way more with the likes of social media or whatever, you know, as a photographer, yeah, you, do you need it? I don't think you do need it, but it's definitely advantageous. I do get jobs from it for sure. But learning for me personally, it's about learning to manage that relationship with it because it's designed as we all know to like suck us right in. Mm. And, you know, I love looking at pretty pictures of waves and, whatever's going on but ultimately i don't need to spend that much time on it i need to put my work up be happy with that and just leave it and honestly i'll tell you what i do i post something then i delete the app for a week yeah and then i'll put it back on because i'm weak i'll like wake up in the back of the van feel a bit groggy with a little swipe along and you're like wow what did i just do yeah. <laughs> I've just lost two or three hours. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, there's, there's irony within it is that a lot of the content that I shoot when I'm working, doing my work is used on there because marketing (laughs) is no longer just print. Marketing is, is digital. Anything. It's, it's rarely print these days. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's such a beaut when you get something in print. And I just got a, I just got a cookbook through the door from the publisher and some friends of mine in the west coast the seafood shack in Aleppo, and my pal josh is a fisherman so yeah. he's out fishing the prawns and the lobsters they're coming in some are going to market and the rest are going to his partner kirsty and Fenella, yeah. and they're cooking up and i've just got these shots from this trip that i had with him which was meant to just be hanging out with pals thinking about a personal project now they ended up with like five shots in their cookbook which was great and then the film I shot with Josh, the BBC Alba actually ended up buying it and making, it, making a TV ident. <laughs> when it's one of those sort of things. So like going back to that personal stuff, that personal work where I had no intention to sell that. I was going to make a little doco on them. Yeah. But then BBC Alba said, actually, we love this. We're going to make something out of this. Yeah. Like, oh, great. And then five years, no, three years down the line, I sell some photos for their cookbook. But yeah, sorry, that, that was a long roundabout way about saying it's just so great to get something like physically printed in your hands. It is awesome. Yeah, but, no, but I think, like I said this in uh, my last podcast, which incidentally isn't actually out at the time of recording this yet, but I've just done a podcast with um, uh, Salema Masakela, who's a, a ESPN a Red Bull commentator. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, Salema, a black guy from America, from California. Yeah. Um, but I did a podcast with him and we were talking about that a lot as well. And we were talking about how all of people's best work um, that they do in creative, this kind of thing, usually they're not doing it with an intention of trying to make money out of it or, or you know, use it for commercial means. Usually they're doing it just because they love it. You know, whether it is you shooting something, you know, Salema was talking about, um, you know, some of his, he, he, he's been to South Africa making some documentaries. I think uh, he does a lot of stuff with the kind of surf scene down there. 
um, and he's making these documentaries and stuff. And it wasn't with the intention of them being kind of put out there for lots of people to see and all this stuff. He's just doing it because it's something that he's passionate about. Um, and often those things, because they, they come across as the most authentic, don't they? And that's what really resonates with people. If you're doing something, and that's like what you said with social media, you know, it's life through rose-tinted goggles. So if you were made that video about, you know, your, your pal who's a fisherman and you, you know, you, you didn't necessarily care that much, you're kind of doing it with the intention of selling it to the BBC, people would smell that, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that goes into that thing of whatever realm you're in, those personal projects that you do. Like I got into photography and film because I love documenting moments. I yeah. love taking portraits of people. That's my kind of thing. And I think all of those, but, but I lost that. I lost that for a couple of years. I didn't do that much of it. Yeah. And then I found it again. And that's it. I'm back on this train of like, yes, I want to create this. The other jobs pay to be able to shoot the personal projects. Yeah. Ultimately. Yeah. And I, but when I'm working for a client, I love it. You know, I get to do a bunch of stuff for a few whiskey brands in Scotland. Awesome. And that's great. You know, it's, it's not client, it's not public facing work, some of that, but the people are great. I really like the people I work for. I love whiskey. <laughs> I love Scotland. You know, what's not to love? Win win. So yeah. how, how is um how 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 was Dawn Day's uh kind of um you, you know you kind of established it you put it all out there and stuff and I guess it wasn't really necessarily intended for like the masses to see and things I know you said it was for people to kind of watch and be able to sort of relax for a, for a minute or so but how how was it received? Yeah, it, you know what it kept building more and more momentum and people were sharing about. I ended up doing a little interview with Roger Cox from the Scotsman, who's a good pal who had been keeping an eye on it. Awesome. Yeah, so it just kept building and building, actually. And Nick was down in St. Ives in Cornwall doing it. And then his pal Warby got into doing it. And this was one of the coolest stories of Dawn Days. Warby hadn't been in the sea for like 19 years. Whoa. He shoots stills on land. He's an awesome photographer, originally from London, lives down there. And... He was inspired by Nick, donned his wetsuit, got in with the water housing, and he he was just all in. Yeah. And it really, really helped him. He was in a he, he was in a bad place as well, like loads of his work. Really? So I was chatting with Nick maybe once a week. We would catch up, maybe twice a week, talk what we we're doing. We'd send photos to each other, commented on stuff. And it just built this momentum and people were starting to share these links all around the place. And I'd get random messages from people just saying, Hey, I'm in New York. And like just loving seeing the ocean. I've not been home in Scotland for ages, or you know, pals in Australia, kind of like all over the shop. It was yeah. it was really cool, I and mean, it gave me a drive, but not in a kind of like getting a boost from people liking stuff. It was like the fact that it was actually helping people. Yeah, and it could just be one person. I don't didn't matter. Yeah. Um. And now I keep hearing stuff. Like I had a message this other day from a girl called Olivia, who said she was inspired to go and swim yeah what i must say little safety warning this is not the time of year to go and <laughs> how to go and swim now if you've got a wetsuit all good but if you're going to go wild swimming this is not the time of year to start no. so please if anyone's listening and is like oh, i'm gonna jump into the sea in my bikini or my boxers wait until summer yeah. and yeah. work yourself through it find out you know find a little club there's so many groups locally yeah. all around the Europe, all around the world. Yeah. And join them and 
and get a bit of it because you can you can really severely harm yourself if you go in at the wrong time of year and, and not prepared dude so I, little, little warning little warning yeah no i i mean well I'll, I'll i'll tell my story if you'll indulge me but i you know i've i, I started started windsurfing when i was 18 so 10 nearly 11 years ago um traveled traveled the whole world you know was sponsored for quite a while like i achieved you know i consider myself a fairly experienced water user um and i got back from a surfing trip to morocco at the beginning of a kind of january february 2019 and i got got back got home and the next day or a couple of days later it was really windy so i went out windsurfing um and i put my put my suit on went out uh crashed you know crashed in the waves whatever crashed a jump um and a wave came over me and just went, boom, all the water just went down my suit. And my body, it was literally like that. Someone turned the lights off. Like, honestly, my whole body just went, boom. and I was, you know, you, you know, your breathing starts to like, you know, yeah. it, went, it, it was terrifying. And luckily, luckily I was in the break. So, you know, it was, just, it was like an onshore windy day. You know, so it, it kind of washed me kind of into where I'm where I could stand up. I'm quite tall anyway. So I kind of managed to do that. And luckily, you know, I kept getting hit by waves and just water flushing through my suit every wave. And then luckily my kit got round the right way. And I just about managed to get my arms up and somehow I water started. So I got up onto my board um, and sailed most of the way. My girlfriend was on the beach filming. And by this point, she'd kind of run down to the waterline and saw you know, obviously saw that I was in a bit of trouble. So she like waded in in her trainers in January, you know, up to like her shins. And she literally just pull, pulled me out of the sea um, and like kind of he stood up wind of me and just like wrapped her arms around me. And we just just had to wait until my breathing stopped. Um, yeah, it's amazing how quick things can go wrong. Oh, my God. You know, like It's unbelievable. Yeah. And, you know, like, like I said, you know, I can consider myself like experienced you know, I've been going in the sea, doing sports in the sea for at this point about you know nine years, and I just got caught. I don't know whether I just got back from Morocco and wasn't acclimatized, or maybe that I think the temperature dropped considerably. In the you know, I think the wind was a bit northerly that day, so that always makes it a lot colder. But yeah, it it was it was really terrifying. It was quite a humbling that's, experience for me. Yeah, yeah, that's brutal, isn't it? Yeah, I think. You've kind of just reminded me of another thing that was really interesting with Dawn Days. Was it towards the end where things started to be laxed off and more people could kind of be in groups, as it were, outside? Yeah. Um, another local filmmaker and a pal of mine, I contacted him to say, oh, could you maybe come down and get a couple of drone shots on the last day? Like, be kind of cool, just yeah. you know, seal it all off. And he was texted back quite rudely saying that, I was like, oh, and he was like, we need to do more than just that, Mike. I was like, all oh, right, okay. And the next thing I know, John's then following me, kind yeah. of filming what I'm up to and what the whole process was. And so this was brilliant. I hadn't seen John much. We were working away loads. But what I didn't realize was that John wasn't really that strong a swimmer. Right. But we were getting him in. Like he started to come in, we'd, we'd do some filming and then he'd come in with a wetsuit. Yeah. And it was like this, light switch for him you know he'd totally been into his mountain biking and walking yeah, that was his thing but water had never been his thing and now he's like swimming he's got his sup his kayak you yeah. know he loves it water has become a part of his life so it's like one of those other little nugs where a friend came to help me film and is, is doing we're doing a five minute piece 
about the kind of experience of doing Dawn Days awesome. um, together, along with another pal, Tim. Barry's going to be doing the sound on it and Rob. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be really cool to, to keep doing that. But but that's become this crew of guys that we're all chatting together as well. So it's it's really interesting. And it's so cool to see people get a buzz from water. Yeah. To get that kind of click. You can't force people, especially here. It's flipping cold. Yeah. That's the thing. I, I like, yeah, it, it it does. There is something to be said. I mean, I've done I've done a couple of podcasts with a couple of people. Um, I did, did one with a, a woman called Eski Britain, who's uh, she's an Irish. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I thought you, you He's awesome. You might be familiar. I did a podcast with her. Um, you know, she's like a marine scientist as well as a big wave surfer. She's uh, uh, far too accomplished in my eyes, to be honest. And all the mental health work that she's doing. A friend, uh, Jenny, yeah. does some work with her. I think, have I ever met her? No, it's, I was out filming in Ireland, maybe 2018 at Mullagmore. Yeah. And she was out one of those days. Yeah. And it just, ah, oh, she charges. She's brilliant. And what a brain on her like the, yeah. the breadth of what she does is pretty cool oh it was it, yeah it was such such an awesome conversation but yeah you know and, and she what was really interesting chatting to her because i've always kind of i've always kind of known that i really like going in the ocean you know like i said i grew up in there and so you know voted one of the best beaches in the uk you know it's a beautiful beach and you yeah. know I, I always grew up going in the sea and stuff and then obviously you know, from, from when I was 18 until a couple of, or till last year, it was my, my career as well. I was teaching people, you know, a sport in the ocean. Um, but, you know, even my mum, who doesn't go in the sea at all, won't do it, but still she goes for a walk on Nairn Beach every day because she said that the sound of the waves come, makes her come. She enjoys it. So it was cool chatting to Iski about, like, actual kind of the, the, the science behind, you know, what that does and all this, you know, the blue blue health movement at the moment. That's interesting that you're your mate came out and now, you know, I think that's happened to a lot of people though. You know, I spoke to people in the industry and said, you know, they've got, um, you know, they've got shops selling paddle boards and things. And now paddle boards are out of stock everywhere. You know, people are, people are taking to the water like never before, I think. And that, and I think what you've just highlighted there is really interesting is you don't have to go and do a sport. You no. don't have to go into the water. You can sit by a stream. You can walk along the beach like all of that there's there's something just about being close to it it's yeah it's beautiful and we're made up of it like what are we 80 to 85 percent water so it's not surprising that it's kind of nice bobbing around in it or watching it um and i think what was that book was it the blue mind there's a great book i'll remember trying to remember to send you a link but it talks about that there's there's tons of science behind it yeah 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 it's meant and like I think I think one of the things for me and like you know like what well, I've done you know did a podcast with a guy called uh, guy called Ed shout out Ed um, and we said you know cl- cliches are cliches for a reason you know because they're good but like th- there is something quite sort of humbling about the ocean because it is it is so much bigger than us you know it doesn't it doesn't care like you said yeah cool I'm like oh yeah I consider myself experienced at going in the sea but yeah cool now nah, actually. I'm going to, I'm going to throw myself down your wetsuit and you're going to get really cold and freak out. You know, <laughs> it, it literally, it doesn't care. It doesn't care yeah. what you are, what you do. Like it's, you know, and there is something, I think you, you kind of sit there and look at that and you go, actually, maybe my problems aren't so bad, you know, and I, I maybe, maybe that's me chatting shit, but there, I think there is something there. And I certainly chatted to East about this and there, you know, she was saying that a, a similar thing um, of how, how kind of humbling and just how, it's hard to fathom how massive the ocean is. 
Um, totally. Like it really that that is so so true. And it does like the number of times things like we were saying um, that that quick snap, how things will change. Yeah. But that's what I love about the. I, I just love that about the about the ocean. I like being near it, like hearing it, I like the smell of it. But the same with like lochs. You know, in Scotland we've got these beautiful peaty lochs. Yeah. And it's just amazing that color. And in a lot of places we get to surf in Scotland, you get a mix of that. Yeah. So you get this crazy mix of freshwater and saltwater, which like from a photography perspective can be a nightmare to deal yeah. with because you've got this oily peaty stuff coming through, and you've got this mix. But it's Fuck, it's brilliant. I, I love it. To- totally obsessed. You know, I, I used to spend, when I was working in the event industry, I would work solidly through the summer and then I would go over to the Alps and do a season. Yeah. And for the first few years, I was just, you know, chopping veg, whatever it was. But that was my thing. I was obsessed with it. And I'd go into the mountains and see the mountains and ski my ass off. Yeah. But they would get to this point and you were like, in Switzerland was where I was staying. I get to this point. I was like, kind of need some water but i didn't realize that's what that was you were looking for yeah. a long long time and then i had a couple accidents towards the end of the seasons that i were doing and lost a few friends in other accidents you know that kind of progressively happens in the mountains yeah and i found myself unknowingly sort of shifting over to surf yeah another water element and it felt a lot safer you yeah. know if you get caught under water generally you pop up with snow generally you don't yeah yeah and so there was this kind of shift over to the water but it but it took me a long time to get comfortable in the water because i had that fear from a couple of the the incidences that i had had on yeah. snow there was a relationship and i had to deal with that to sort of break through that and now i find myself being really comfortable in bigger surf but i also think being comfortable in bigger surf is because i've shot a lot in the water yeah so when I'm bobbing around with the camera it's a whole other perspective and I think that really helped me with my confidence and my kind of wave knowledge. Yeah, I'm still, like, I'm still a pretty kooky surfer. I surf <laughs> really weird single fin, hull boards, long boards, but I love it. We're all, we're all, we're all kooks, aren't we? We're all kooks in our own way. That's what there's a good, there's a good couple of good Instagrams, kook slams and kook of the day, and they that's what they say, don't they? We're all, we're yeah. all, we're all kooks in our own way. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, it's, but we all surf. We all surf like uh, Dave Rastovich or Devin Howard in our minds at time. Yeah, you know, you're like, yeah. Look what I did. When you, yeah, when <laughs> you never really want to see the video. No, never. Yeah, that's the thing. Just don't film me. Yeah, take a picture. Like maybe now and then. But no, you're right. Like I think you know, at the end of the day, t- time in the water is time in the water. Whether you're holding a camera, whether you're surfing, whether you're windsurfing, paddleboarding. But I think it, it is one of those things that needs to be. Uh, needs to be respected without sounding like a Hawaiian lifeguard but it does you know it does need to be respected and I think it, it needs to be taken seriously I know I've you know I've started taking it a bit more seriously you know before I always had the view of like because I'm down here on the south coast and I'm like oh I'm a Scotsman I'll stay in my 3-2 until I don't need it and whereas now I'm a bit more like all right yeah maybe maybe I'll chuck my five mil on and I'll wear a hood and all this because I just I've I, now I've had that experience you know yeah, oh, I'm lucky if I even ever take my boots off. My feet yeah. are destroyed from so many winters, and I just love being warm. Yeah, so true. I've always got a hood on. I think the the, the thinnest wetsuit I'll have on in the, is a is a four mil, but it's always got a hood because it can be really windy up here. Yeah, and the last thing I want to have done is I do not want to have my ears drilled. No, I where, really uh, don't want that. Where do you where do you tend to where do you surf mainly up in Scotland? Kind of all over. 
to be perfectly honest, you know, Edinburgh is my local area. So we've got, you know, a few bits, bits and bobs around there and yeah. I'll head up to Thurso and do a bit of shooting and surfing up there. Yeah. And um, that's kind of obviously a pretty classic area. Yeah. I'd like uh, to go up there. I've never been. It was funny. The first time I was ever there was pretty random. They had a WCT, like a world yeah, yeah. series up there called the Cold Water Classic. Amazing. At the time, I was doing event stuff and pals of mine worked for Red Bull. So they supplied me because that's what Red Bull did. They supplied infrastructure. So they supplied me and a generator to power the satellite uplink and the judge's tent. Yeah. And I had never really done much surfing <laughs> until that point. And I'm sat in my car in this car park watching some of the world's best. Yeah. So not having a clue who any of them are. Yeah. And I think that got into my brain and was like, ah. This is pretty good. Yeah. This is probably what I want to be able to surf when I get good. Yeah. Um, so I did that for about four years. It was great. Tow a generator up from Inverness, plug a couple cables in and sit back. And I've got a bunch of lifelong friends that still live up there and others that were traveling with that kind of surf circus, as it yeah. were. That's cool. Yeah. Do you know, I've been, I, well, I briefly in lockdown one, I spoke to a guy called Mark Boyd, who he's a local surfer up there. Yeah. Um, I spoke, yeah, Boydie. Boydie's yeah. lived there for years. Yeah, yeah I know Boydie. I need to, yeah, I was speaking to him about trying to get him on the podcast, but it just hasn't, I think he works offshore as well. So we just haven't, we've never lined it up. I need to get in contact with him again. Yeah, he's a busy, he's a busy fella, that one. But yeah, keep, keep chasing him. Yeah, because it's, I mean, Thurzo gets pretty heavy. I mean, I've not, uh, I don't, don't know if I'd, well, it's Thurzo East is the heavy one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it it can do. And, and I think, again, that's a place that people need to, as with all of these heavier waves, you need to learn to to respect it, take your time and 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 learn how to surf stuff like that. Because, again, things can just go so wrong so quickly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Yeah, no, I, I really want to, I want to spend more time kind of surfing around Scotland. They do the, they do the Tyree Wave Classic up in on Tyree, the windsurf competition every year. It's the world's longest running windsurf event. Yeah, Andy Groom, isn't it? That used to run that. Yeah, that that name rings a bell. Because he guy, used to work on the Cold Water Classic. That's the yeah, yeah, yeah. They've done that for like twenty years or more. Yeah, yeah, twenty thirty years. It's, it's mad how how long that event's run for. But it's it's really cool. It's really cool. Um, one, so, one of our um. I think one of the most up and coming surfers that we've got in Scotland actually lives on Tyree. There's a family there, the Largs that live there, and we Ben who last winter got towed into a 25 footer yeah. out of more. And Ben's all of 14, maybe at the moment and <laughs> um, currently going through a bit of an ankle injury. So yeah. that's a little shout out to him to get better and get back on it. But we've got some really, some good young surfers. Also yeah. a, a kid, Finn McLaren, and Craig up in Thurso as well. It's brilliant to see all these guys like coming up. Yeah, there, there's definitely. I don't know, like like we said at the beginning of the podcast. I think I think there is a, a there is something happening in Scotland at the moment. You know, every every time I go up to Nairn, there's more and more people out paddleboarding, kite surfing. You know, um, just going on on the water. I think there there is something happening. People are. I don't know whether it's lockdown and people have been furloughed and had nothing better to do with their time. Um, mm. Or, or whether they just realise what they've got on their doorstep. Um, and I think globally that's happening. When I speak to people all around the globe, you know, I've got my sister lives in New Zealand. Obviously, they're in a completely different bubble to the rest of us. Yeah. Friends all over the shop. And actually, everyone's saying that. People are have got more time or have realised that they've not been spending time in the outdoors. Yeah. And actually, they really like it. 
and it's really good for them. And it's as simple as that. We can overcomplicate this whole conversation, but it is that simple thing of just going doing something for yourself. Yeah. Turn your phone off, leave it in the car, or put it on airplane mode if you're out walking and you want to stay safe. Just like switch off and zone out and go and enjoy yourself. And that's what I need to keep telling myself because I catch myself like coming back in that loop and be like all stressed, like what you doing? Oh yeah. Dude, I'm yeah, I'm I'm the worst of that. I'm very good. I can sit all day on the podcast or to my mates, everything, and dish out this advice and oh, you need to stop doing this, boys, and you need blah, blah, blah. But when it comes <laughs> to actually listening to my own advice, I'll be like, no, no, that's not for me. Yeah, but that's the key, isn't it? That that's yeah. what for me is noticing that these things come up. Notice when you wake up and you've got that little funky mood and yeah. realize that it's okay. Like yeah. it's okay to feel a bit funky sometimes. Yeah. I call it I call it steering I call it steering into the skid. I'm like if it's if I know <laughs> if I know it's happening and I know I mean that's that's the, the first the first part of the process and the first part of you not overcoming it because it's never you're never necessarily gonna overcome it, but the first part of the process is is being able to consciously know it's happening. You know, I can consciously wake up and go, right, I don't feel right, so I'm gonna I'm having a shit day. Like today. Today, I, you know, I had some, I had some, sh- you know, shit news earlier about work and and all this, and I was really frustrated and stuff. And then for November, I've been going out for a run every day. I've been running five k a day, um, and I went for my run today, and I came back and I was like, oh, I feel I feel a bit better now, you know, yeah. I feel a bit better. And then I sat down. I, I knew I had this podcast, so I was like, right. And then now I'm just going to sit. And I'm going to chill out and switch my brain off for an hour or so before the podcast. So then when I sit down and chat to Mike, um. I've got a fresh brain and, and it, it's, it's worked. But I think everyone needs to find those processes that work for themselves. Yeah, because everyone, we're all beautifully unique. Yeah. We've got all, all our own stuff. We've all got stuff. We've all got issues or whatever. We've got stuff. Yeah. And it's just working out what works for you. And I think that's also something I started thinking about when I was doing the Dawn Days thing is, and I hope it didn't come over that way. I really don't know that I wasn't ranting at people about things. A lot of the time, I just felt like I was telling my story. And if, if some small part of it resonated with people, then great. And if it didn't, yeah. it didn't. Yeah. But I also felt like, again, one of maybe those cliches, but male mental health, like more and more men are talking out about it. And yeah. that's great. And I felt like if I'm going to do stuff online, then it has to have a bit more soul to it. Mm. Like it has to have a purpose. Yeah. And it doesn't have to reach millions of people. It just has to reach one or two. That's all that really matters. And even that aside, I felt good doing that. I felt good creating these little nugs of, um, yeah, with people. And and then Barry's music. So I can take credit for the visuals, but so much of that work would not have been possible without Barry, like 100%. And I had luck with loads of other musicians like Julie Fowlis let me use a track, my pal Colin McLeod, my friend David Jacks, um, the boys at Iglamat uh the guys at mammal my friend nick they all let me use stuff but then barry was just this constant and he would message me like i'm buckled you're not getting anything today you know (laughs) he would just be honest he's like exhausted um but that reminds me one of the most beautiful moments was my pal nick messaged me with this album and he was like oh look we recorded this album down at coldingham bay in our friend durham's hut yeah it would really mean so much to me if you could use this for the project, but don't worry if it doesn't work. And it was just like the perfect morning that he sent it to me. And I went down and like 
the way the light was, the little seal that was bobbing up and down, everything just kind of linked in. And it was just so cool because people were, were throwing me these things. Yeah. Because there was a little point where like before Barry really got stuck in, like, wow, what am I going to do for music? Yeah. But it would have taken the course it would have taken. But that really, that really, really, really helped me. I can't thank Barry enough. Yeah. No, definitely. It is, it is one of those things like, you know, like you said um, at the beginning there, like with, you know, whether you, whether you help one person, two people or a thousand people, you know, it doesn't matter. Like I, I kind of have the same thing with this podcast, you know, I kind of started it and I still, still to this day question, I'm like, am I just talking to other people as a form of like self, self therapy, you know, is this, is it this or, you know, and, it, and it's been, you know, it, it's, it's been brilliant. I, I do get a lot of messages, you know, I've, I'm saying, you know, not necessarily, oh, you've helped me, but just how much they're enjoying it and things like that. And that's, you know, that's, that's all I, you know, all I wanted or all I want really. Um, but yeah, I do have these kind of moments where I'm like, oh, am I, you know, am I just doing this so that I can, it, it's funny where your brain goes when you, as soon as yeah. you, when you do something and it starts to like, even a little bit do well, I'm sure you've had it, you know, with Dawn Days, you, you automatically almost second guess yourself a little bit, don't you? And you're like, am I doing this for the right reasons? And yeah, I think for me that came because I was so in it towards the end or like after the end. Yeah. Where I kind of just had this woke up one day and was like, oh my God, what <laughs> the hell did I just do? Yeah. And I was about to go and read through stuff. I'm like, it's done. Yeah. Whatever. You know, just those doubts. And that's that that internal critic isn't it that wee devil on your shoulder who's like oh, you shouldn't have done that you shouldn't have done this yeah you know that that internal critic and and ultimately for me it was just like all those issues or any of that stuff is just me giving myself shit yeah you know stop giving myself a hard time you know oh society says i should do this family say you should do that they say you should do this you're like well you actually strip it down or for me you strip it down and go that's all stories in my head. Yeah. You know, if I stop with those, yeah. So it's been aware, like you say, just building an awareness and having fun with it. Like yeah. not being overly serious. I can be, I could definitely be a culprit of that. And I think I, at one point in dawn days, if I look back, I probably did get quite serious. Yeah. And then the next day it was a video of me and my feet and these really bizarre long toes that it looks like I've got because of these wee booties I've got, yeah, yeah. you know, and just had a bit of a laugh and then, you know, lightened the mood because that's what I felt like that day I was just like I felt kind of frivolous you know yeah. it's 3 30 a.m absolutely nobody's up the only people I would see every morning is this cop car driving across Portobello prom and after halfway through May I thought I better go in and say hello because they're <laughs> probably wondering what's up yeah you know, there was that internal guilt that we all felt if you did anything that you thought someone might not think is yeah okay. yeah yeah and I wasn't going out far literally like I would go up to my up to my chest, really, yeah. no, no deeper. So I went and chatted to them and I told them and they're like, ah, oh, we have been wondering. There has been a bit of chat about you. Yeah. Glad to know. And I'm like, I can swim, I'm warm, yeah. I live locally. I either walk down here or I ride my bike. And they were like, Cool, you know, no yeah. worries. We don't need to come in and get you. <laughs> yeah. Cause you I think yeah and this it was this thing i had it this guilt in my head for a few days oh i, I think everyone had it where it's around that time didn't they i know i certainly did of like you know am, am i going out for my second outing today should i be doing it yeah yeah what, an, what a bizarre experience yeah 
Well, I mean, it sounds it sounds like you made the most of it. So why you you kind of mentioned that you sort of stopped it and stuff? Did you did you make a conscious decision of like right lockdown's kind of over now? This is kind of done. Let's let's kind of put a put a bow in it there and and have it as a as a thing rather than sort of continuing it and kind of feeling like you're almost milking it. Yeah. So ultimately, it was Dawn Days of May was the kind of name that it ended up having right. with Nick, but it was just to do it for that month. Yeah. Because to do that. I was getting up, like I said, towards the end, about half two in the morning, going out filming, coming back, like having a bit of a morning, you know, starting to edit, do the photos. And then three days a week for part of May, I was also working at my friend's coffee roastery to help him out. He called me. He was like, look, I used to do their photography. I do their photography. And Steve and Machina was like, look, can you just come in and help? Because everyone, you know, I'm like, yep, no problem. So I was exhausted by the end of May. Yeah. Like I was wiped out. And that was the, a little bit the irony in that was that I've spent all this time being away, running about all over the place. And then I kind of did that to myself through Dawn Days of May towards the end. Yeah. But it was good. I went, cool. Time to chill out. And I just had a couple of weeks to chill out. And we're still doing more stuff. You know, me and Nick actually talked today and we're looking at what the evolution of it is yeah. to keep that going, but not on a daily basis it's no. it's just too intense yeah you know but, and not even cherry picking the days like going with when it feels good so you've not seen the last of dawn days <laughs> we'll be back and hopefully with more people but my vision if i was to give you my little like blue sky vision yeah. what i would love is that i would love more people to get involved with it around the world yeah i would love to open that conversation up i'd love to see this map with like little flashing lights of people that have gone and done a dawn and they've put up a photo or they've gone and stood on the top of a hill yeah, and caught the dawn. Like you don't have to get in the water. You can literally pull out your bed and like lean out the window, but whatever people are doing, I would love that to, to build. And I would love to create some little community around it. Exactly what that is. I don't know. And I don't want to think about it too much. No. I just want to work out how to facilitate that and get other people doing it. And I think, the bit that I almost reminding myself of reminding myself of is it'd be great to empower one young girl or guy to be able to do that, to give them the equipment. If they're into water, yeah, give them the equipment and then not so much a mentorship program, but like myself to give a call or Nick about settings or whatever's going on, or if they're having a bit of a funky day, you know, I'm not a counselor and I'm, I don't profess to be at all, but, to connect with someone but to empower them and give them the ability to go out and shoot yeah i don't again know how i'm going to do that but at some point that would be kind of cool because there was one person in my life at school um i'm very dyslexic and the school i went to were really good but there were still teachers that ultimately didn't believe in it yeah but there was one teacher dave and dave was amazing he was a computing teacher and weirdly that's why i got my c in yeah computing (laughs) don't know how basically dave and he waved a carrot and he said i'll teach you how to lead climb outside if you pull your finger out and knuckle down you yeah. don't you're not getting taught and he believed in me he's like i believe in you i know you can do this but yeah. he gave me that carrot and that was a great thing so i guess that thing of wanting to help a bit within the dyslexic realm but just in general like if you can take five ten minutes out your your week an hour out of your month, whatever it is, 
it's such a small amount and it can mean so much to someone. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's self-gratifying as well, isn't it? It's lovely. It's lovely to feel like you can pass on some knowledge to someone else. Like it, it makes you, you know, it's great for them, but it's, it's a two-way relationship. It makes you feel great yeah. as well. I mean, I know, you know, from, from my years of teaching windsurfing and we have, you know, younger instructors that, you know, they'd shadow me for a week while I was teaching and things like that. And I felt great being like, oh, when, when they do this wrong, tell them this and things like that, you know, yeah. passing on the, passing the baton, so to speak. Like it's, it's a lovely, it's a lovely thing to do no matter what field you're in. Yeah, totally. And I think working within photography and film, I think it's a lot more open than it used to be with a lot of things, yeah. but people can be very guarded with for things sure. like they're like secrets but actually like i always bang on my mates are probably so sick of this saying but life's not a competition it's a collaboration yeah and the sooner you start collaborating with folk doing stuff with people it's just a better result you can't do everything and it's way more fun to do it with other people yeah it gets that's what it, i think no i agree i completely agree and like if you view life as a competition you're going to be pretty exhausted all the time yeah because it, totally because it's it, it, it's it, it's not a way to live life you know going through going oh you know whether it's financial you know trying to look like you've got more money than everyone else or anything yeah. you, you end up you end up not being truly yourself do you you know you end yeah. up no matter what it is you put you put up a wall whether it's oh i'm not going to tell you my settings on my camera or you know this is this is the car i drive or you know anything like that you it, it's an exhausting way to live yeah, and, I, and not to take anything away from competitive sport because that's amazing. No, that's, that's, all that. But I'm not a com. I'm. I mean, uh, to say I'm not a competitive person, that's not totally true. We all yeah. have an element of competitiveness yeah. in us, but it's really not something that drives me in that sense. And when I find myself in that competitive mindset, it's pretty negative for me. It's pretty toxic. Yeah, and I'm way better with more like, oh, I really want to work with her and him on this can we get together and do this i'm crap at that you're awesome at that help yeah yeah exactly i think the competitive like you know athletes competing and stuff that that's a whole different a whole different kettle of fish isn't it a whole different thing yeah they're, you know one they're making a career out of it and you can't you know you can never you can't shit on anyone for trying to make a career out of something but also they're you know they're trying to achieve greatness in in whatever they've chosen you know i i fully you know as a you know like you you know you're a surfer as well like i don't know if you've seen like you know, John John Florence, there's a new documentary on Amazon about him um, and his his kind of run up to the Olympics and stuff. And it's amazing what these, you know, what guys at the top of, or even in the middle of any sort of sport competition, what they put themselves through um, is is insane to, to try and achieve, you know. Uh, oh, it's, my, it's absolutely mind bending. It's like, hey, I need to watch that, but you can watch those things and be like, oh boy, I'm a bit lazy. Or like, <laughs> or, or, you, or it's interesting to see you know, someone like John John, you could look at just thinking of raw natural talent and just surfing a lot, but I'm sure there's so much more behind that. Oh, his his one's amazing. And actually, one of the best things is the way it started. And the way it started was him saying, you know, you, you spend your whole life building up, building up to win a world title. And you, when you get the world title, you expect everything to change. And then you wake up the next morning and everything's exactly the same, you know? Yeah. Um, and it took it took that kind of tone, but it's, it's definitely worth a watch if you've got if you've got an hour. Um, oh definitely I'll, I'll check that but that's that thing isn't it like I can have that at the end of a big project or whatever is that there's that kind of bit afterwards where you're building to this thing yeah yeah but actually it was all about getting there once you're there it's like oh yeah 
what now? Well, yeah, as opposed to learning to sit and go, oh, that was good. Reflect back on it, but it but it can be quite underwhelming. I think people find that, don't they? When they get their world title, whatever, they're just sat there waking up with a hangover, going, "Oof, yeah, All right, then. <laughs> yeah. what next?" Well, exactly. To, to, yeah, to, I mean, to quote to quote the American Office, I think it's An- Andy Bernard, the Nard Dog, but he he says something like, "You you never you never realize you're in the good old days until they're the good old days." you know weird that it's something you know from a comedy show but i found it really poignant and it is it's so true you never you're always sitting telling funny old stories from something in the past and you just keep kind of keep doing that throughout your life and you never actually sit there and go we're having a good time right now you know whether it is um, you're on it you're on a video shoot or you know dawn days getting in the water and stuff you know now we're sitting talking about it um it's it's a really it's a really funny way that we that we choose to live um definitely yeah so quickly before we um before we finish up i wanted to talk a little bit you mentioned it a couple of times about your um about uh sort of your dyslexia you know being dyslexic and and kind of how that's informed your life um before we hit record i said i've got you know a a few friends uh you know my girlfriend my brother who are who are all very uh very dyslexic so i mean what's what what, what's your experience with it been like my experience with it i was really lucky in a sense, because my mum and dad, especially my mum, just kind of thought something's up here. Like he switched on, but something's up. And so from a very young age, she had an inkling. My mum's never been tested, but we're pretty sure she's dyslexic as well. Right. So the first part of my life at school was horrendous. You know, my mum would literally have to like tear me, she says, and I don't remember any of this. She would literally almost have to tear me out the car within reason you know I just didn't want to go Mm. I just wanted to stay with her and so for those first four years it was pretty traumatic probably for my whole family but again I have absolutely no memory of it because my brain's just gone out so then I moved school started getting help with it but just struggled all the way through school I just wasn't an academic person I loved sport Mm. I think at school I just wanted to go and drive trucks or something ridiculous you know (laughs) when I was about 14 yeah but I think there was a pivotal moment with Dave when he believed in me. And then I can't remember who said it to me. And they just said, look, Mike, don't think of. At the time, it was like dyslexia was a learning disability, which when you look back, like that is the dumbest bunch of words to put together. Like it's not a disability. And when someone turned around to me and went, look, think of your dyslexia as a gift. Think of it as a different way of thinking and think of it as your brain just being wired differently. And that's cool. Don't worry about it. Go with it. And that really, that stuck with me forever. It wasn't like in my head, I maybe had this thing where I was like, I've got a little superpower. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't think I was better than anyone else, but I had this little special thing that wasn't a disability. It was a gift. Yeah. And if I've got this gift, I can go with this. And I, w- I had a really supportive family. I was very lucky with that and I got a lot of help with it. Um, but it's been a struggle all the way through. But learning to ask people for help, building up a bunch of people that I can email and say, hey, can you quickly look over this yeah. before I send it to the managing director of whoever else so they don't think that there's a 12-year-old trying to do a photo shoot for them, <laughs> you know? like it's not that bad it can be corrected and actually a lot of people quite like my dyslexic messages my dad's kept all my notes and a bunch of emails of all these funny 
things that I would say. Yeah. And then some people will screen, screen grab me. And I think on my Instagram profile, at one point it said, what was it? It was like surfing waves, snow. And I thought it said talking smack, but it said taking smack. And my sister was like, um, I've just noticed this. I think you might need to change it. Yeah. Hilarious. Um, so yeah, dyslexia has probably formed almost everything that I've done. The way that I do things can be really roundabout. Yeah. But that's the way I do it, you know? And I think it, I've got a creative element to, to me with it. But there are people that are physicists, politicians, bankers, uh, businessmen and women, you know, like it doesn't mean that you're just creative. It doesn't mean you can't spell and write. It's so much more than that. And I don't think we'll probably ever know completely. And that's fine. Do you think it's one of those things as well that's, you know, a, a bit like mental health, like dyslexia? Do you, do you think it kind of varies from person to person? Like, do you think there's a bit of a spectrum for dyslexia as well? Because obviously. Oh. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that must make it difficult to kind of put a label on as well, you know. And, and for, for teachers and everything, teachers have, you know, such respect for what they do. And it's so hard to know because <clears throat> there's so many different parts. There's like the reading and writing. There's, you know, I used to look at a blackboard and then it would go into my brain, essentially flip it around and it'd be back to front when I wrote it <laughs> down. I have a bit of auditory dyslexia. I have numerical dyslexia. Yeah. I'm not as dyslexic as some of the other dyslexic people I've met, but yeah. I thought I was like brutally dyslexic. So it's such a wide gambit, or if that's the right word, it, it, the sliding scale, it, it's huge. Yeah. yeah well, the that... most important thing, if there's anyone listening that is dyslexic or has a dyslexic kid and they're struggling, like they just need love and they need to be told that they're not stupid, you know, they've got a gift and they think differently. I, I don't quite know. It doesn't always work for everyone, but it's, you know, it's all good. You can achieve it, whatever you want to achieve. Some points you might have to knuckle down and work a lot harder. And some points you'll just find that awesome dyslexic brain kicks in and you kick ass at whatever you're doing. Yeah. Like, well, like, like, like you said, I mean, that's it's such a nice way to put it. And it's, it's awesome that you kind of had that kind of growing up. Um, you know, you had people kind of, putting dyslexia in a positive light rather than a negative light. So you had, you know, people saying, oh, you know, you're, it's, it's good thing. It's you kind of look at it almost like a, a superpower or you're, you're just, you know, something slightly different. Your brain's rewired just because your brain's wired a different way. doesn't mean it's not a brain. Um, and yeah. that, that's a, that's a message that I think should be put out there a lot more. Cause I know certainly my younger brother, he, he struggled a lot with, um, with people at school um, or him at school while he was, kind of going through them sort of thinking if he was dyslexic or not. Um, and it's certainly, they didn't talk about it that way with him. Yeah. And I, I don't know how to, how we do that. And I, I want to work out, there's, there's an amazing charity called Mindrum and an awesome human called Sophie Dyer, who kind of set it up with a few other people to yeah. try and help educate people with it. And I've always tried to work out what I want to do or how I could help out. And I guess one of the many personal projects buzzing around in my brain is, is ultimately some sort of portraiture work with people from all walks of life, yeah. businesses, backgrounds and ages to just try and show that there's so many different people with it and it's all good. You know, like, so yeah, I'm kind of working out what I could do again. What could I do with the skills that I have? 
and the knowledge that I had with my journey with dyslexia to give young kids or even older folk, like if people are dyslexic and they're like 40, 50, whatever age, the relief they get when they find out is huge. And I think a lot of people underestimate that and they go, well, if I am, then fine. But to actually know and to find out, a lot of people, it can relieve relieve a lot of stress. Yeah, definitely. You know, I did I did a podcast with a, a guy called James who, I mean, you know, he's a very successful guy, runs his own marketing agency uh, down here on the South Coast, everything. And he's, I think he's, yeah, maybe late 30s, early 40s even. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's just been diagnosed with autism. Um, you know, crazy. He's lived, you know, all this life and done all this stuff. And he always kind of knew something was different. But it, yeah, it was super yeah. interesting to hear actually, you know, it, it, it was kind of a relief for him almost. Um, to actually be able to kind of put a badge on it and be like, no, you know, it, yeah. it it wasn't a bad thing for him. It was a good thing. Yeah. And then also then he could work out what he needs more and get help to understand how to to help him deal with it. Like to to be in the right environment, all these kind of things. Because like, you know, is br- the way their brains work, like it's next level. Yeah. Autism, you know, it's unbelievable what they can do. A lot of people that with they're autistic you know they're just this laser focus yeah well that yeah that's that's what he said you know and it's i guess you know it's similar thing with with dyslexia as well though you know it's just it's just the brain working in a slightly different way um yeah and it it doesn't like you said it doesn't it doesn't limit you to um to anything at all totally cool so uh finishing up then i've just got two or three uh quick far questions um where where is your happy place mike you click your fingers right now. Where are you? Bobbing in the sea, either on a surfboard or with my camera in my hand. Nice in the sea. That's what that's what I thought you'd say, but it's, it's so you you always never know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Surprisingly, actually, most majority of my guests always say the sea as well. Yeah. Um, or this this van is like my mobile cave. I can yeah. just crawl in, here, lock the door, put the heater on, and hide. We should mention that. Yeah, you are you are my first guest to be recording from the van. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. There's the look. There's the bedroom. Now we're back in the sitting room. <laughs> that, is the that is the setup. That's nice. Um, obviously, we've been in lockdown. I mean, I don't know. You know, obviously, you you had your own project during lockdown, but um, were you what were you watching? Were you watching? I'm I'm a huge um kind of movie, you know, cinephile for lack of a better term. But you know, I love love my films and stuff. Were you were you watching any sort of TV shows or movies during lockdown? What 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 can you recommend? What have you been watching? During May, I wasn't actually i was like i just i was fried i was i would go to bed so early yeah what have i been watching of late oh the queen's gambit on netflix yeah that's epic that's pretty good um i love the philip pullman books the dark trilogy yeah yeah the, um, the so trilogy. yeah so i've been watching a bit of the tv show and then i listened to the audiobook again which is probably one of the best audiobooks in the world because yeah. you've got all the characters i love that not the kind of thing i would normally be into um but i really enjoyed that and otherwise i started watching uh the boys on netflix but that was it's pretty dark or not netflix it's on amazon or something yeah i love i love the boys it's It's good good. it's pretty warped yeah yeah Um, yeah yeah what's another one oh another cracker called fantastic fungi fantastic fungi that is quite an interesting one yeah i bet um all to do with the mycelial network under the ground oh yeah leave it at that yeah that yeah. is well worth a watch it's pretty cool that's quite that's gone quite joe rogan he he loves talking about mushrooms doesn't <laughs> yeah, yeah totally mushrooms. 
but um, from everything from edible to to the others you know there's yeah yeah you know, to, to put a disclaimer on that you know is a there's there's a lot of research going into that yeah yeah my my, my knowledge doesn't go past uh, picking chanterelles with my grandpa when i was a kid um, so tasty yeah <laughs> they are so tasty i love those yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and then finally you know a big big part of the podcast we haven't actually uh, had one this evening i know you messaged me saying you were making a cup of tea so i decided not to have a beer tonight but usually i have a a, a beer while i while i record um are you are you a beer man i know you say you've done some work with whiskey brands but do you, uh, do yeah, you a beer? i do like beer i'm currently having a little bit of break from beer nice. uh the last nine months has definitely seen quite a large consumption of beer. Yeah. Uh, but I do love a beer. You know, I love all the stuff from Orkney and just generally Scottish Hales. Yeah. And my favorite whiskey has to kind of be Glenmorangie or Scapa. They're kind of like on the same for me. I love a dram. Can't yeah. be a dram. Yeah. Especially post, post surf. It warms you up, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. It's brilliant. Have you tried them? Um, I like the, the Black Isle Brewery. Uh, they've got one. They've got one called Red Kite. Uh, that is, yeah, they're great. Yeah, really good brewery. Lovely people as well. They're a good bunch. Yeah. So they they um my cousin got married in Cromarty. He's from Cromarty. So he he got married last year up in Cromarty, and they sponsored the wedding. So there was there was all these kegs coming in. It was oh, it was amazing. It was good. But yeah, no black black owl brew. That's from from up and up and up there. That's my favorite beer. Yeah. Um, Probably another favorite would be Loch Fine Loch Fine Ales. Oh, I've not heard of that. Oh, They're is cracking. It, yeah, F Y N E. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. I think so. Yeah. 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 Oh, sorry, I shouldn't ask you. <laughs> like, sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Nice. All right, then, guys. Well, I hope uh, I hope you have all enjoyed this episode with Mike. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for your time um, and for and for coming on. Um, sorry about the the minor technical glitch, guys. But hopefully, don't know why I'm telling you about now because I should be able to sort it out in post. Um, but yeah, I hope you've enjoyed listening. If you have enjoyed it. Please do like, share, subscribe, uh, follow all those things that are free for you to do, but they help me out absolutely massively. Uh, Mike, where can we where can we find you? Where can they find uh, Dawn Days? Uh, you can find Dawn Days. You can actually go to dawndays.com uh, and that'll take you through to a few of the other people that were involved with it. Yep. Uh, my website is mikeguest.co.uk and over on Instagram, I am at Mr underscore guesty g-u-e-s-t-y yeah random nickname so yeah and then the dawn day stuff that'll then perpetuate out and you can go onto the vimeo i tried to take it off social media so on the on the dawn days website or my website you can go in there and you can look at the vimeo and yeah. people can just absorb it that way i've heard it's quite good to set it up in the bath not your laptop the side have a glass of wine sit back and watch it and put it on autoplay <laughs> There's, a few people have done that. There's, there's the recommendation. If you have a bath, do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, cool. All right, then, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you for the next one.